You're listening to 43% and Rising, the podcast about women in marketing. I'm your host, Beatrice Alabaster, and I've been getting together with some game-changing women in our industry to hear all about their experiences of what it takes to rise to the top. 43% and Rising is brought to you by Ernest, the award-winning agency chasing the humdrum out of B2B marketing. Back in May, I had the pleasure of speaking to Weiwei Zhu, founder of Sprout and co-founder of Tiny Factories. With a background in interaction design, Weiwei's passion is designing tools and products that people genuinely enjoy using. We spoke about embracing ambiguity and uncertainty in your career, especially as a first-time founder, how to navigate the transition from university to the wide world of work, how to stay creative and curious when you have rent to pay, and how to work across different disciplines without feeling the pressure to put yourself in a box. Hi Weiwei, how are you doing? I'm well. Um, I'm currently in Shanghai and in the middle of a lockdown, but everything's been pretty good. How are you holding up? It's pretty intense. I would say there's a lot of unknown. Um, Nobody knows when this will end, but I feel pretty lucky that I'm still able to take some fresh air when I want to. And um, it's also a strange forcing function to sort of focus a little bit more on work in this phase. Yeah, I can imagine it must be um, simultaneously so stressful, but also quite good to have a distraction, I would think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Whenever I catch up with friends, they're just like, what's new? And I was like, "Uh, I guess there are new progress with work. (laughs) (laughs) Work is my life now. There is nothing else. Yeah. Um, so just to kick things off then, I wondered if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do. Yeah, so I my background is in interaction design and I've always been fascinated by how we can build tools and products that will sort of enhance or enrich our our relationships and how we understand and interact with the world. So I currently I'm a founder of this product and company called Sprout. Our goal is to help friends, long distance friends in particular, um, with keeping in touch with each other, growing their friendships with each other. Because I, I feel so strongly about how friendships tend to go on pause or once you go long distance. And that's sort of our goal right now. We're in search of a way to help friends. Um, with maintaining and also growing their friendship even when they're physically apart. It's interesting it must feel um, particularly timely at the moment given you know the pandemic and the lockdown and that kind of thing I mean I suppose there's never been a better time to invest in that kind of platform. (laughs) Yeah I think that that experience has been sort of intensified particularly for me because I accidentally moved away from America due to the pandemic and all of my social social sort of like gravity are in America most I would say 90 90% of my friends are in America and while I do have friends and family and childhood friends uh back in Asia but they it it it's it's not the same when you have like your friends from the recent years are all physically away and um, I also feel this way before the pandemic, whenever I had to 
sort of close a chapter of my life and open a new one, um, that sort of na- would naturally lead to my physical context and physical environment changing. Um, and I really value f- friendships. So I, I've been thinking a lot about in what ways can we keep in touch in a joyful and also relatable low low effort way with each other yeah no it's it's interesting um you you mentioned you know the different kind of chapters of your life and um, Mm -hmm. I'm really keen to get talking about Sprout in a little bit more detail but I wondered if we could just kind of start from the beginning really and talk about how you got into interaction design in the first place Mm -hmm. yeah um I, so culturally speaking, um, I, I was raised in Shanghai and my parents are from Taiwan. And, um, but I've always been immersed in a somewhat British and American environment due to the schools that I was sent to. Um, and so I've been exposed to several cultures growing up and naturally what I read was somewhat sort of like skewed by how technology works and how businesses work just because of the environment I was raised in. And that has gotten me really curious about how we can build tools and build solutions for, for each other and for a larger group of people. Um, and naturally, my mind went to, oh, that must be a designer's job <laughs> to build <laughs> tools and solutions. Um, Although later on, I realized an engineer play a huge role um, in that too. And also sort of like managers and um, marketing folks, communications folks, they like, they all play a huge role in that. Um, But that led to me choosing design as the main focus for my study in college. And um, that was an environment, college was an environment that I really, really enjoyed because there were so many sort of like like-minded folks that were just like intensely curious about how the world works and how we can um, learn different tools and adapt different type of thinking to tackle questions that we have about sort of like (laughs) painful moments or like challenging moments in our life. Not that all of the, the, the moments can be solved by an app or a tool by any means, but um, that was that was an environment where we were constantly thinking about these kind of problems. Um, and at the same time, I was also very exposed to the history of computing and how mm-hmm. the early research labs for computing led to the World Wide Web we have today, the keyboard, the mouse, the Internet, so many of these things that are more infrastructural nowadays and things that we take for granted nowadays. So. That mix of exposure and sort of like gradient of thinking have then led to me wondering more about in what ways do I want to play a role um, in this and can how can I have the most fun um, while surrounding myself more with folks that are that are also intensely curious about similar things. Sure. And that that curiosity, it sounds like college for you was a really great and important opportunity to kind of meet those like-minded people and foster that curiosity. How did that change or not change when you actually entered the world of work and left education? Was it still so easy to be so, you know, fluid in your thinking or did you feel a pressure to become, almost become a bit more 
rigid? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, graduating was something I looked so forward to <laughs> in, as a college student because I was just like, I want the real world. I want, <laughs> I want to be in like real situations, real problems rather than these like imagined situations. I want to be designing for real things. Um, and then being parachuted into the real world was very disorienting for me. Um, to say the least, because all of a sudden there were, I had to learn to be much more disciplined than I was before. And I had to learn to navigate um, and understand how, how work environments work and how to collaborate with others and what are like, how to, in what ways, like, are we negotiating with our coworkers for, for the better? Um, and just like that combination of of sort of new new conditions led to a very different environment and that also made me realize that I really miss environments where people are able to be very curious for no obvious motivation or no material motivation um and that was one of the reasons why my friends and I started this group called Tiny Factories where it's just a group of creatives that would throw random questions at each other, share work in progress side projects. And that sort of group of friends and, and like-minded creatives really help compensate it for the college environment that I really missed. Yeah, I mean, I'm really keen to talk to you also about, you know, Tiny Factories, which you just mentioned, this community of kind of entrepreneurs. Um, mm -hmm. I'm really, really interested. Obviously, one of the key parts of Tiny Factories is your finance model, right? You have a mm -hmm. kind of revenue sharing model. Is that correct? We've been experimenting and evolving. So that has been changing um, in the last two years. Okay. And what for you is the kind of relationship between creative independence and financial independence? Why does that matter to you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it is. That is a topic that we talk about fairly frequently in the group because we feel that a lot of people take a job after school for realistic reasons of needing to pay rent, needing to pay for groceries, um, needing to save up. And those being employed at a job sometimes not all the time but sometimes mean that you are you are restricted in how much creative autonomy you have and um but then if you want full creative autonomy that sometimes mean becoming an artist becoming a freelancer and that then sort of like introduces slightly more risk or uncertainty around where your rent, <laughs> how you're going to pay rent <laughs> for the next month, how you're going to pay grocery for the next month. Um, and so to, to a lot of us in the collective, we felt that this, how, how you balance and dance between, um, creative autonomy and financial autonomy plays a huge role in how you're able to be curious about the world. Because if your mind is constantly occupied about like how 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 you're gonna pay rent, then chances are that you're not able to think 
a lot and focus, invest your attention into the creative side that you want to explore. Absolutely. I think especially, you know, as a young woman, you want to, the start of your career is really where you want to be taking risks, right? And experimenting and trying things rather than feeling kind of wedded to one path because of financial certainty. I mean, how, what, what kind of role has risk taking played in, in your career? Mm-hmm. I think I've always been someone that are very open to risks to a point that there are times where I'm like, damn it, wait, wait, <laughs> why did you, <laughs> why did you make that choice? Like in what world did you think that was a good idea? Um, but I've learned that for myself, I've been, I sometimes need a really strong push. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sometimes need to have no plan B's in order to go all the way forward and forge ahead. And so I've intentionally put myself in situations where I have no work lined up and I need to figure out what is it that I want and how is it that I'm going to make it work. Um, I've also declined opportunities that are more financially comfortable and are also filled with op- growth opportunities. But I felt that the riskier path is something that I wanted to approach because the opportunity growth is even higher, but the risks are also proportionally higher as well. And yeah, yeah, and then I've considered, so in the group of tiny factories, everyone have learned, we're still in the learning process, but everyone have also learned about how they themselves are comfortable with different mixture of creative freedom versus financial freedom so some folks are more comfortable if they have a full-time salary um, and they're able to tinker on this more on the side some folks figure out a way to align their personal interests very very healthily and and perfectly with work and some folks are willing to sort of give up some of the financial upsides to gain even more creative freedom. Sure. And talking, you know, talking about going that extra mile, taking that push, you've now gone out and founded your own business and are now, you know, out there as an mm-hmm. entrepreneur. What what pushed, what prompted that decision for you? Yeah, I for me it was because I was I was juggling multiple side projects and I was originally thinking that maybe I'm someone who were interested in bootstrapping the, the tools that I build. Um, and then I realized that that wasn't the path that would make myself sort of like joyful. And that wouldn't be the path that would really allow myself to unleash all of the sort of curiosity, passion and put myself in the kind of growth situation that I was looking for. I'm someone who really enjoy collaborative environments and I'm someone who really enjoy being able to bounce and riff ideas and work with each other. And if I wanted to bootstrap something on my own or with just one other collaborator, then it wouldn't be able to allow me to learn and also be in a collaborative environment where there were multiple co-workers and collaborators to riff with. Sure. And you've been going, you know, 
for a few months now. I mean, how you've got a good team behind you. How how has that been going with Sprout as a mm -hmm. as a founder for you? Oh man, it's been so chaotic, and <laughs> I, it is very apparent that I am a first-time founder. I'm not gonna lie, and um, everybody acknowledged that. We talk about it, and I would always like publicly apologize of like, yeah, this is a failure of me not having enough management experience or not knowing how to sort of align us or unify us uh, on a clear goal. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel that. This is also a situation where I've cut off all possible plan B's and plan C's, and I need to figure out how I can increase the chance of Sprout working for the team and also Sprout working for a, a, a large group of long distance friends and their, sure. their friendships. Sure. Um, and so this has been something that I'm really enjoying despite all of the chaos that that we also go through. It's a lot of yeah, it's a lot of pressure for you and also, you know, for your team as you've mentioned. How do you think your experience is perhaps influenced or or not influenced by being, you know, a young female entrepreneur in particular? Mhm. Mm I think time will tell. And also, um, I oftentimes talk to Sprouts advisors and my, my mentors, my advisors about this more. And they're able, they're often able to abstract more patterns or behaviors for me than I can at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. but there are definitely times where perhaps folks would put, folks would hold their experience, um, over me and, mm -hmm. That's sort of that that can be a, a mix of reasons that can be because they're older than me. That can be because I'm I seem less assertive um, or I come off as less assertive and more friendly. I'm not sure. And I think time will tell. And I will also need to learn to put myself and acknowledge the sort of like position of power that I'm in. And I'm someone who is fairly power uh, power avoidant i would say and <laughs> um and so this has been a really challenging and fun sort of situation where i need to acknowledge that i do hold power and i did put together this team and we are here to work on solutions and work on fun ways to connect long distance friends it's interesting what you say about you know your almost reluctance to want to grab all of that power in your role and instead you prefer a kind of collaborative model to what extent do your thinking is kind of influenced by your experiences of what is commonly thought of as quite being quite like a male dominated computing industry and the models that are kind of expected from those kinds of companies i think there are a lot of experience that have influenced me one is the asian culture that i essentially like were have been breathing in since i was born and that is a culture where it's much more common and much more comfortable if you keep your heads down and if you respect folks who are older than you sure um and 
in the technology industry, which I'm still very new to, um, I would say that there is there is probably uh, this culture that is more influenced by the American culture that I'm I've been in in the recent years, and I don't know if this is a a good way to generalize or summarize it, but. I consider the American culture to be a culture where you are expected, assumed to be more confident and to sort of take what's yours. Um, and I kind of considered the Marvel movies uh, <laughs> sort of like a summary of the American culture where you're here to save the world or you're here to to do something because you own the power. And so you're just going to do it like there's no questioning. Um, Whereas I consider a lot of the sort of entertainment content, like movies from Asia, it's almost always more collaborative, and it's almost more about like it takes a village to do something. Um, and there are definitely like those cultures that are clashing in my in my mind and in my heart. Um, and then at the same time, there are also sort of like me being. <laughs> one of the youngest person on the team that I'm building. Um, <laughs> how do I, how do I sort of like navigate um, this dynamic and how do I learn and convince myself almost that it is not about age and it is about who is owning up what and who is driving what and what is the job description of each of our role. Sure. And how, how easy or hard are you finding that? Is that still very much a work in progress? Or are you kind of starting to learn to kind of be able to switch between these different competing mindsets and cultures? It is definitely a huge learning process for me. I I would say that um, this week in particular, I felt like uh, like I'm I'm deep in a swirl where I'm exactly in the situation that I, I'm describing. Um, and speaking with my mentors, my advisors are extremely helpful because they're able to extract patterns for me and sort of understand like, oh, you're like you and your coworkers are having disagreements or are not aligned because you're at a different altitude and or the problem that you you each are discussing is is one is an upstream problem, one is a downstream problem, and you need to be recalibrating everyone to the upstream problem that is more important um and those kind of discussions and those kind of like highlights from my mentors and advisors have have been really helpful in helping me understand what is needed right now and i'm also i i then am able to put sort of like put my ego aside it's not about what I'm comfortable about and what I'm uncomfortable about, but it's more about like, what does Sprout need and how can we make sure Sprout thrive? Because that's what we're here for. Like we're here to grow Sprout and we want <laughs> Sprout to Sprout. So how can we make sure that that is the goal? And it's not about like, what am I comfortable with and what am I not comfortable with? Sure. I mean, it's, you know, it is interesting. I think sometimes there is a lot of pressure on founders and on leaders to kind of have all of the answers feel absolutely set in their ways but it sounds like you're very open to advice you know diverse opinions yeah i think when 
there were definitely times where I would just be in pain and struggling with the situation myself. And over time, I've learned that the first step is to understand, recognize, and be aware of the the, the struggle or like what what's, doesn't feel right, and then externalize it so that I can ask for help because chances are that if I'm experiencing it, other people in management and leadership have experienced it in multiple layers, multiple ways. And if I'm able to do so, then I'm able to get advice and get sort of guidance from people who have seen it and or like at are at a sim- even higher altitude than I am. And that then will help me get out of the painful situation that I'm in and that I'm putting my teammates in. Sure. And I'm I'm really interested too, you know, tech as an industry, it's not always, you know, it can look quite homogenous in some ways. But, you know, what strikes me about Sprout and about your the way that you talk about it is that there's a lot of emphasis on being playful, being fun and getting enjoyment in the way that we experience platforms. Why why is that so important to you? I think about I think about the companies and also the environments that inspire me the most. And some of the ones that come to mind are companies like Nintendo and moments where we're giggling with friends and we're just goofing off with each other. Those are moments where we we can feel like ourselves and am able to be more more vulnerable and more honest about what's going on. And hence, I think being being in a position where we're comfortable and vulnerable is also a very productive <laughs> mode to be in. If we if we're trying to get really practical for a moment, and so um, if we're in a work situation, for example, and everybody are holding, like holding each other to hostage or feeling uncomfortable, then chances are that the collaboration isn't going to be helpful or isn't going to be interesting and fruitful. So if we're able to put ourselves in environments that we feel relaxed and we feel like we see each other and we understand each other, then that's also a very sort of like meaningful position to be in for multiple reasons for practical reason and also just for human human reasons and that's one of the the way that i think about like why playfulness and why sort of like pleasant and useful like making things that are use useful usable pleasant playful are a really helpful mix of qualities to have Sure. You've also written, you know, I read I read a piece that you wrote where you said that you're interested in how we can make computing environments more equitable. Uh, what do you mean by that? How how in your mind can computing environments become more equitable? Mm-hmm. I'm I'm still in the exploration phase. I I don't have all the answers. I think at the moment I would love to see that um toolings and computing environments are more for everyone and right now tools that are for everyone tend to be for consuming so we're consuming news we're consuming videos um, and the, the the tools that are for creating tend to be in a in a wall 
behind a wall in some way. So that could be that could mean that you are required to learn to code. That could mean that you're required to wrangle with some complicated software. Um, and so it really creates a wall between people who can create, who can author in this digital world versus people who are only in a position to consume. Um, and at the moment, I feel that like if we're able to, to give other more folks ways to create, ways to tinker and ways to author, then that would, that would put us at an even more interesting position collectively to imagine new interactions with each other, new ways to communicate, new ways to have fun with each other and new ways for our future to to sort of take shape. It's, yeah, exactly. And the, the board of um, your t- your team with Sprout is also very diverse, I noticed, including, you know, lots of female leaders. Um, how do you think that that's kind of impacted both your your working culture, but also the end product? When it comes to a team that appears to be more culturally and demographically diverse, I think that has to do with how wide are we searching and how wide are we exposing ourselves. Um, And I wouldn't say that Sprout team right now is particularly diverse. I I think we still have a lot more work to do, Um, but the the goal here is that the world just is huge and we tools cross regions tools cross continents and countries so easily so much more easily than before and so we want to be working on and understanding people from different regions and people from different backgrounds and when we work with everybody who have overlapping but different backgrounds then that also means that we are able to think and understand more of how everybody work and how everybody be like stay connected with each other rather than being confined to how one culture or one region communicate and work with each other sure i'm really interested um to hear if you had a piece of advice um, for a woman pursuing a career in your field, what would that be? The advice that I would have for someone in a similar position or even me for, for, for myself who is like slightly younger is pursue something that you're intensely curious about. Um, and it can be something that you're passionately obsessed with, or it could also be something that you passionately disagree with. <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to be like passionately obsessed with it in the, in a very positive and optimistic way. But I've no, I've learned that if I'm working on a topic um, that I feel okay with, <laughs> that I feel like normal with, then it's much harder for me to push through when I'm in a struggling stage. Mm. Whereas if I feel strongly, positively or negatively about something, then 
those challenging moments are going to are, are not going to stop me because I feel really strongly about it. Um, and I found that to be really important because no matter what field we're in and no matter what what we choose to pursue, we're all going to run into obstacles and we're all going to run into really challenging phases. And the most important part is to know that we'll work through it and we'll be safe at the end. We'll also be able to have fun and things will work out. Good advice. I like the optimism. (laughs) Um, Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for having me. It's been really nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Since we recorded the episode, Weiwei has been working on an exciting new product called Roller. Weiwei describes Roller as a new website that'll teleport you to niche internet corners curated by you and your friends. You can find out more about Roller and about Weiwei herself in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch to share your thoughts about this episode, or if you'd like to come on the show yourself, you can contact us through Twitter and LinkedIn at Ernest Agency. I've been your host, Beatrice Alabaster. Our producer is Steve Spicer. And 43% and Rising is brought to you by Ernest, the award-winning agency chasing the humdrum out of B2B marketing.